Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about hope. uh, And we are, I'm going to call my message today, The Hope of All. We are in um, what many people call the Advent season. uh, Mostly parts of liturgical churches. A liturgical church is like an Anglican church, like next door, or a Catholic church. Um, Those kind of churches, those are liturgical, and that just means they follow a liturgical calendar. And we're not liturgical, we're non-denominational, we're charismatic, we're Pentecostal. Uh, But in in the Advent season, there are four things that they focus on, four themes that they focus on. Um, Hope, faith, peace, and joy. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, I think that those are important things, especially in this season, to slow down and look at and talk about. I think the world is trying to steal our hope. I think the world, the enemy is working, trying to steal our faith. I think he's trying to rob us of our peace and our joy. And so I think there are some themes and some things that we, could, we should come back often and talk about and encourage ourselves and remind ourselves what the Word of God says. Amen? So we're going to talk about hope today. Jaden, can you turn that clock on so I just don't talk forever? It helps me keep track of time. We're going to talk about hope today, and the hope of all is what we're talking about. Um, now that we have two services, I'm not a good repeater. Like, I, I don't have notes that I, like, follow per se. Like, I have scriptures written down that I want to make sure we look at and talk about together. But every service will be different in some way. And that's okay. We kind of like it that way. We like to just let the Spirit of God do, what'd you say? <laughs> Come to both. Come to both, and we don't have room for anybody. So, <laughs> so we'll have to add a third service, and then we'll tell everybody to come to all three services. <laughs> oh, the problems we have. Um, so just, uh, just like I like history, and I think some things are important to kind of like understand. So let's just start at the beginning. So um, this is the Advent season. Do we all know what Advent is? Besides Advent calendars, who has an Advent calendar at home? with chocolates hidden inside, or with your little Lego pieces. My brother always has a Lego advent calendar. He's 35 years old, and he still gets one every year. Uh, But most of us, uh, I remember, like, we would have, like, advent calendars growing up, and I had no idea what the point of this thing was, but I was just super excited because there was a chocolate inside that we got to have every day. But just to be clear, what advent is, is in in about the 4th and 5th century, Advent was this. It originally started out as 40 days before what is called Epiphany. It's a celebration that liturgical churches celebrate in January, um, which is the celebration of of God being God. Um, And so they would celebrate that in January. And so 40 days before that, uh, what would happen is these people at Epiphany, new believers, new Christians, new followers of the Christian faith, 
would get baptized at the celebration of Epiphany. And so 40 days before that, they would begin to um, repent of things in their lives. They would begin to empty themselves of the things they felt like were, were roadblocks and hindrances in their life so that they could fully commit themselves to Jesus. So they would fast, they would pray, they would repent, they would put their mind and their attention towards the Lord and towards this upcoming baptism. And that's what Advent originally was. And then about in the 6th century, it took a little bit of a turn and became focused on the return of Jesus Christ and became the return of Jesus Christ and then the birth of Jesus Christ. So now when people are celebrating Advent, if you go to liturgical churches, the, the month-ish leading up to the Christmas season, leading up to Christmas, they will spend those four weeks talking about hope, faith, peace, and joy, and they will spend two weeks looking ahead to the return of Christ, which is important, Right? And they would spend two weeks looking back at the birth of Christ. And so I just find it interesting. I, just, I find history interesting because a lot of times we don't know what is happening in the world. We don't know why we celebrate certain things. We don't know why other churches celebrate other things. So I'm telling us that just as a point of interest. And if you talk to other believers, if you talk to other Christians, if you talk to other people from other churches, you have some point of reference and context for what's actually happening. So we don't look like, oh, we're the non-denominational and we have no idea what you guys do at your church. It's important we can speak some of the same language sometimes. Amen? Amen. So that's what Advent is. And so for us, uh, we're going to spend a few weeks slowing down our life. We just finished talking about, we just, in our small groups, we just went through the ruthless elimination of hurry and talked about slowing down in our life. We talked about resting in our life. And here we are, we show up at Christmas time and lots of us at Christmas time, uh, the world speeds up, right? Christmas comes and everything gets super crazy, super hectic, super busy. You have Christmas parties, you have Christmas shopping, you have Christmas decorating, you have Christmas baking. You have all these additional things in life. I'm always like, at Christmas time, Jen always wants to decorate the house like crazy. She's always like, I, listen, not this year. We're going simple this year. But in, in years past, I just, I will go down to our basement and look at the stash of Christmas decorations we have. And I'm always like, why? Why? For, for one month a year, why do we have all this stuff? And I'm the one that's got to go down and find all this stuff and bring it upstairs and unpack it. And then she gets to decorate it, make it look beautiful. Yes, you're playing your violin. I know. <laughs> but you're not the one hauling all these things around. And... Uh, Christmas just becomes a time of busyness. If we're not careful, we fall into these rhythms and patterns that the world tells us you should live in. You should live at this speed. You should go to all these parties. You should make sure you go Christmas shopping because that's what you do at Christmas time. You go shopping and you get into the mall and everybody's supposed to be happy, but they're all angry. They're angry in the parking lot. There's lots of, there's got to be way more honking in the parking lot at Christmas than all the rest of the year combined. But it's the most wonderful time of the year, according to the song. And so I think it's important for us to slow down a bit and talk about things that really matter and are really crucial and at the core of who we are as believers. And one of those things is hope, the hope of all. And I want to take you to a scripture in the book of Hosea. Go with me to Hosea. and We're going to look in chapter 2 is where we're going to start at today. And <clears throat> Hosea for those of you who don't know, was 
had a very, he, was, he was a prophet, a minor prophet in the Old Testament, and uh, the book was written around 750 B.C., and the way the Lord used the prophet Isaiah was he instructed Isaiah because the children of Israel had run off and were serving other gods. I don't know if you've, like, really read the Old Testament, but as you read the Old Testament, you see over and over again the children of Israel forsaking God and running off and serving other gods. Man, God is gracious. God is so good because they, man, if, if, hear my heart here, if I was God, I don't know if I would have forgiven them so many times. But thank God I'm not God because he just lovingly kept leading them back to where they needed to be, kept forgiving them, kept showing them the error of their ways, and kept causing them to come back to him. And he is so good. So the children of Israel had gone off and served other gods, and so he gets the prophet Hosea, and he says, I want you to go marry this prostitute, and I want you to have kids with this prostitute named Gomer so that the children of Israel can see in your life, you can use your life, you can use your wife, you can use your children as an example for the children of Israel to see how they have left me and turned away from me and gone off and prostituted themselves with other gods. Wow. That's a ministry. Thank God he hasn't called us to that. Amen? And so in Hosea chapter 2, in verse 15, uh, by the Spirit of the Lord, Hosea is talking, and he's prophesying to the children of Israel, and he says this, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble, or the valley of Achor, it says in the New King James, into a gateway of hope. I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. So we're talking about the hope of all. So I want to talk about hope for just a moment and what hope is and what this word is talking about. And then we're going to talk about this valley of trouble just so we are all on the same page and understand what's being talked about. So first of all, I want to say this to you. A lot of people don't understand what hope is. A lot of people are confused about what hope is, biblically speaking. For us, biblically speaking, as followers of Jesus, our hope, is in a man. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in things. Our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in jobs. Our hope is not in property. Our hope is not in gold. Our hope is not in anything else you can name. Our hope as followers of Jesus should be resting squarely on Jesus Christ. Okay? Just so we're all on the same page. Hope is not optimism. Okay? A lot of people think hope is like, oh, just believing the best in every situation. Just believing that everything's going to work out for the good. That's called optimism. Merriam-Webster says optimism is this. An inclination to put the most favorable construction upon actions and events or to anticipate the best possible outcome. Listen, optimism is really good. Optimism is really great. You should be an optimist. Nobody likes being around pessimists, right? <laughs> I'm glad Ruth is here. Nobody likes hanging out with pessimists. Pessimists are bombers. Bomber. If you're a pessimist, listen, if you're a pessimist, I'm going to tell you right now what nobody else has the guts to tell you. You're a bummer. You're bringing the party down. Okay. Just flip that switch and become an optimist. Yes, let's look at a glass of water. Yes, there is half of the glass. What does that half mean? It means half full. Half full. Pessimists are like, oh, it's half empty. 
It's half, it's half gone. Yeah, it's half gone. An optimist says, you can always get more. A pessimist says, but from where? <laughs> An optimist says, literally anywhere. You can find water at any faucet, sink, tap, wherever. You can, well, what if the, what if the faucet doesn't work? What if it's out of water? Listen, be, a, be an optimist. Optimism is great. People love to be around optimists, but optimism is not biblical hope. What hope is, there are two words used a lot in the Old Testament for hope, um, and the first one is yahal, and that means just to wait. Uh, to wait. That's what hope means in Yahal. And then there's also Kava. And so in this verse here, where it says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope, that Hebrew word is the Hebrew word Kava. And it comes from the word Kav. And the word Kav is uh, a chord, like this, okay? It's not a chord where two or three are gathered in one accord. No, it's a chord, a New word, C-O-R-D. And so the word actually means this. It's a verb, and kava means to wait for, to look for, or to hope for. The word is used to signify depending on and ordering activities in your life around a future event. So the idea is this, that you have hope in something, and since you have hope in it, you are structuring your life around the thing you have hope in. And the, the picture is, um, because it's a verb, means it's an action word. So the picture is, is that when you take a, a cov, a cord, and pull it tight, we both know that if um, Jacob and David came up here and grabbed one side of the cord each and just began to pull apart and pull as strong as they can, what's going to happen? The cord is going to get pulled tight right? And as they continue to pull, there is tension created on that pole, on that cord, until it breaks apart, right? And so the tension that is created in the waiting is what the word kava is. Does that make sense? You understand that? And so when you are hoping in the Lord, when you are hoping, when he's transforming the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope, you are structuring and ordering and setting your life up in such a way where you are waiting in anticipation for God to do what he said he's going to do. Now let's talk about this valley of trouble for just a minute. In Joshua chapter 6 and Joshua chapter 7 is where this Valley of Accor or Valley of Trouble comes from. In Joshua chapter 6, if you know your Bible, it's a story of Joshua and the children of Israel going into the city of Jericho, marching around it for all those days. And on the seventh day, I just, I love this story a lot, right? Getting all those people for six days to march around the city once time, not saying anything, being absolutely silent. Like, I don't know if I could get all of us to go outside and walk around this building and have nobody talk. But they had like a million and something people that marched around this massive city, which is massive walled city, like impenetrable, and they marched around it once a day for six days, nobody talking, and on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and at the end, they blew horns, and everybody got to shout, the walls come down. 
Now, as they're preparing to march around this building, there was instructions given to the children of Israel that said, hey, don't take anything from the city of Jericho. This is all going to be set apart. This is all going to be consecrated. This is all dedicated to the Lord. Interesting note that as the children of Israel, this is the first city after crossing the, the river into the promised land, the first city that they take is set apart. All the things in there are set apart to the Lord. Kind of sounds like tithing to me. A lot of it, actually. This is all God's. Everything else you can have, but the first is dedicated to the Lord. So he goes on and says, this is all my stuff. You can't have it. Basically, he says, you can have the rest of the stuff. This is mine. Don't touch this. Well, you know how people are. And in Joshua chapter 7, it starts off, and we find out that somebody took something they shouldn't have taken. And his name was Achan. And so what happens is, is they finish up Jericho and there's another city called Ai a little ways away. And they say, Joshua says, let's go take this city next. And so they send some spies out to go check it out. They go up there and they're like, this city is tiny. There's like nobody there. The spies come back and they say, listen, you don't need to send the whole nation up there because we got a lot of people, but just send like two or 3,000 up to go take this city because it's super tiny. It's like Yarrow, small. Nobody's like, nobody lives there. We can take this thing. Send two or three thousand guys up there. Joshua says, okay. They send the soldiers up there, and this tiny little village, this tiny little town of Ai, defeats the Israelites and just whips them. And in fact, kills 36 of their soldiers. They all come home. They're sad. They're depressed. People have died. People have lost their husbands. People have lost their sons. People have lost their dads. And they're all so frustrated. I mean, they just had this amazing um, defeat at Jericho, which was a city that had a massive wall around it, and they defeated it by trusting in the Lord and marching around it. And then they go to go take this other tiny little village, a hamlet, a little, a little uh, municipality, and they die. People die. And they come home. They tell Joshua what happened. Joshua goes and lays before the Lord. And, and the Lord says to Joshua, basically, get up. Somebody has sinned. Somebody took something that doesn't belong to them. And that's why you didn't win this battle. So here's what I want you to do, Joshua. He said, I want you to call all the people together. Call all the nation of Israel together. And we're going to go through the whole nation. And we're going to go by tribe. Then we're going to go by clan. Then we're going to go by family. And we're going to find out who sinned. That's a bad day for Achan. So Joshua says, all right, everybody, uh, tomorrow morning we're all getting together. Public service announcement. It's going to send out an email blast through MailChimp to everybody. Everybody, tomorrow morning, I want you all to assemble at this time, and the Lord is going to pick out the person among us who disobeyed us. That's when you like click, I did not read this email. Don't open this email. If I didn't open this email, then I don't know what's happening. And so the morning comes, and the Lord starts going through the 12 tribes, and they find out the Lord says, it's the tribe of Judah. And they start going through by the clans. And they're like, it's this clan. So they're like, all right, bring the families in this clan up. And they start going through and they're like, it's this family in this clan in the tribe of Judah. And they said, all right, well, it's this family. Now let's start going through each man in the family to find out which one sinned. That's terrible. I would not be happy. I'd be hiding somewhere. 
So they start going through and they find out, well, the Lord says, it's this guy right here. It's Achan. It's this guy. This is the guy who sent. Joshua says, hey, tell everybody what you did. Let's, let's come clean. What happened? Achan says, well, we went to go fight this. We went to go fight Jericho. The walls came down and I just saw this shiny gold and it looked amazing. I knew I needed to have it. My wife is, you don't know my wife. She likes a lot of stuff. I just, I can't take care of it. So I went and I stole these gold bars and I hid them under my tent. And so Joshua says, thanks for telling us what, what you did. Thanks for coming clean. Uh, now he says this. He says, because you troubled the children of Israel, the Lord is going to trouble you. Have you read that scripture? Six people have read that scripture. <laughs> because you troubled. Now listen, because of Achan's disobedience, 36 people died. And he says, because you troubled the children of Israel, the Lord is going to trouble you. And so they packed up Achan and all the stuff. They took him out and they stoned him. So when he said they're going to trouble you, trouble you meant uh, you're going to die. This is the end. And so that was the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble that Hosea is talking about when he says the Lord is going to turn your valley of trouble, the valley of Achor, into a doorway, into a gateway of hope. What he's saying is the Lord is going to take the mess that you have created. The Lord's going to take that thing over there that you messed up, that you thought could never be redeemed, that could never be restored. What he's saying is, is God's going to take that over there and transform that that thing that you think is hopeless, that thing that you think is lost, he's going to transform that into a doorway or a gateway of hope. Well, it's actually pretty exciting. Because I don't know about you, but I, I mean, like, I know in my own life, I've made a mess of things a lot of times. I've done things where I thought there's no way this can be redeemed or restored. This is just lost. And the Lord comes along and he says, hey, I'm going to take the trouble that you thought that you created, that nobody could restore, that you thought was lost forever, that nobody could fix this, that you just thought this was a done deal and you should bury it in the ground and put rocks over it like they did to Achan and just say, hey, this is where that thing happened. Let's make a monument over it, which the children of Israel did. And it always reminded them of the the trouble and the sin that Achan brought on them. So they had this monument of their past mistake in their life. And the Lord says, I'm going to take that monument of your sin, that monument of your mistake, that monument in your history that you thought was just there to remind you what a terrible person you were and what a mess you made. He says, I'm going to transform that monument. I'm going to transform that thing into a doorway and a gateway of hope. So, I mean, that's exciting. That's very exciting. <laughs> so here, I want to take you now to the book of Isaiah. And I want to show you something. Because Hosea was written in 750 B.C. And then Isaiah comes along in 700 B.C. and begins to prophesy to the children of Israel. And so... As believers, I said this before, our hope is not in anything. All right? Now listen, a lot of us do put our hope in things. A lot of us do put our trust in things. And that's okay. Like, you, you should trust in some things. You should put your hope in things. But you should have your ultimate hope and your ultimate trust in Jesus Christ. 
right? Invest, save, buy property, buy a house. Do things that you think are responsible and the Lord will allow you to do. I'm not saying don't do these things. I'm saying, sure, yeah, do whatever the Lord says, yes, you can do. But at the end of the day, your hope and your trust has to be in Jesus more than those things that you are doing to be responsible. Does that make sense? All right, so if our hope is in Jesus, if our hope is in the Lord, then let's go to the book of Isaiah and let's just read this together. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to start off in verse 1 here, and it says this to us. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. I stopped everybody in the first service, and I just paused here, and I want to stop and pause here again on this verse right here. Because listen, a lot of us live in times of darkness and despair right? Don't you find yourself at times where you're like, this just feels like the end of the world? Don't you find yourself at times thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. I don't know if the sun is ever going to rise again. Like those people who live above, you know, way, 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 way up north in Alaska and at wintertime, the sun goes down and doesn't rise again for like three months. You know those people? We all know that, right? We're like, that'd be kind of cool to live in the dark for three months. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Let's just be real. It'd be cool for like two days, and then after that, you'd be like, I'm so done with this. When is the sun rising? But a lot of us in our lives, we feel like those people way up north probably do, where the sun sets, and everywhere you look, it's just dark. It's just dark all the time, and you're like, when is the sun going to rise again? When is this despair going to be gone? When is the hopelessness? Listen, the world is trying to steal your hope. The world is set up. Listen, the enemy is after your hope. The enemy is after your peace. He's after your joy. So everything that he can do, he's trying to steal it from you. And so we got to remind ourselves of who Jesus Christ is. we got to remind ourselves that what the Word of God says. And so right here he says this right off the bat. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. It means you may be walking through something, but guess what? Here's some good news for you. It's not going to last forever because Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's gonna, he came, he died on the cross, and when he died and rose again, he beat death, hell, and the grave. And so whatever you're walking through is already under his feet. When he went to heaven and he sat down, he made it all his footstool the Bible says. And so whatever you're going through, it may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning, the Bible says. Don't you worry. The sun is rising in your life again. It says the land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. These people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. This is talking about Jesus. This isn't some like metaphor. This is a prophecy about Jesus coming and being the light of the world. And it's saying, don't worry, that darkness isn't going to last forever because Jesus, this is a prophecy in 700 BC, saying Jesus is going to come. Well, good news for you and me. Jesus came. The sun is never setting in your life. Oh, I don't know if you believe that. You may go through seasons. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
So you may have a season where it looks dark and gloomy and scary and spooky. But you just need to remind yourself who Jesus is. You need to remind yourself what Jesus has done. And Jesus is the light of the world. I said Jesus is the light of the world. So however dark your world looks, however scary, however spooky, you need to remind yourself that Jesus is the light of the world. And when Jesus, the light of the world, walks into your world, guess what happens? Spookiness, darkness, scariness flees because he lights up the world. Come on now. Verse 3 says, You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice in harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Verse 6. Four. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. This is talking about Jesus. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. He will be called. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. His rule, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's army will make this happen. I love that phrase right now. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies. The passionate commitment. Don't you love passion? This morning when Pastor Jenny was leading praise and worship, did she have some passion? Come on, church! Do you believe it? Do you believe it? It's passion. It's good. <laughs> we need passion in our life. Oh, let's praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord, church. If you feel like it, raise your hands. Clap along if you want to. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. What it's saying here, 700 years before Christ showed up, a prophecy that his commitment to all those people and to everybody who has ever lived in the world, the Lord was passionately committed to making a way for them for the light to overcome the darkness. No, oh, come on now. Yeah, buddy. He was passionately committed to seeing his truth, to seeing his salvation come into your world, to come into your life. So he brought Jesus down in the form of a man to go to the cross and pay a price that none of us could ever pay so that we could walk in freedom. Let's go to one Two, two more verses, two more verses. Go to Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verse 21. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go to Psalm 43. <clears throat> Matthew 12, Matthew 12, Matthew 12. 
The enemy is after your hope. Because if he can cause you to be hopeless, if he can cause you to live in despair and defeat, he's won. You've got to remind yourself over and over and over and over and over who Jesus is, what he has done. Because, listen, right now we're in here, we're singing about Jesus, we're talking about Jesus, we're thinking about Jesus, we're praying to Jesus. We're in an atmosphere of Jesus right now. But when you leave this place, you go into the world, and suddenly you are bombarded with all these thoughts trying to steal your joy, trying to steal your faith, trying to steal your peace, trying to steal your hope. So when you leave this place, you got to continually remind yourself what the Word of God says. So you're building yourself up, reminding yourself who Jesus is to you, what Jesus did for you. That, you know, that passage that we just read talked about how he was an everlasting God. He wasn't going anywhere. So when he did this work, it was done once and forever. Forever, in case you don't know this, it'll break your mind, but forever is forever. Like we just, we're finite people. So to truly understand the concept of forever, to truly understand how God existed before Genesis 1-1, we just can't. We're like, well, who created, who, who made God? Nobody made God. Nobody made God. No, he's just always been there. What do you mean God's always been there? He's just always been there. And brain broken. Oh, I love Jesus. Matthew 12, 21 says this. We're going to read this verse out of four translations. The first is the New Living, and it says this. And his name, say his name, name. will be the hope of all the world. The New King James says, and in his name, Gentiles will trust. The Amplified says, and in his name, the Gentiles, then it says, all the nations of the world will hope with confidence. I love the Amplified Translation because it adds that phrase, with confidence. It's a hope with confidence. I got this hope in Jesus. I'm expecting him. Like it said, the word kavah means that you have ordered and structured your life based off what you were expecting to happen. Then it says here in Amplified, with confidence. Confidence means that you know, 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 that what he said, that you know, that you know, that you know, is gonna happen. That is hope with confidence. One last translation is the, ampli- or the Passion Translation, and it says this, Matthew 12, 21, says, and the fame of his name, and I love this one, the fame of his name will birth hope among the people. The fame of the name of Jesus. The fame of his name, that means who Jesus is, what you've heard about Jesus, what you've seen Jesus do, What you've experienced in your life, the fame, like, oh my gosh, did you hear about Jesus? Did you hear about this Jesus? Did you hear about this Jesus that did this? Did you hear about this Jesus that healed that person, that their limb just popped out? Did you hear about this Jesus that broke off those addictions and chains? Did you hear about him? That's the fame of his name. And what does that fame of his name do? 
It births hope inside of you. Don't let the enemy steal your hope. You got to keep reminding yourself who Jesus is. And every time you speak the name of Jesus into your life, into your circumstances, into your body, into your finances, into whatever situation you're dealing with, the fame of his name is birthing hope. And you say, yeah, but you don't know my life right now. You don't know what I'm going through right now. You don't know what my life looks like right now. No, I don't. But I do know if you continue to speak the name of Jesus into that circumstance, it will birth hope inside of you. And the more that you continue to speak that name, the more hope is going to rise in you. And as hope rises in you, faith begins to rise in you. And as you continue to speak the name of Jesus, and as your faith continues to rise, guess what happens? You expect and you confidently hope that Jesus is going to work and move in your life. Psalm 43 verse 5 says this. I didn't even make it there. Here it is right there. It says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will, say I. I. I will put my hope in God. And I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. This is a declaration of your choice. This is you saying, in this moment, in this situation, I choose. I will. I'm going to. Beyond whatever else is happening, beyond whatever else is taking place, beyond what the doctor says, beyond what the bank says, beyond what the government says, beyond what the interest rate says, beyond all those things, I will choose to put my hope Come on. in God. And, and because I'm putting my hope in there, I'm waiting on Him, and I am with eager anticipation, expecting Him, waiting for Him to move. And because I do that, I am orchestrating my life in such a way that I'm just counting on Him. I'm waiting in confidence. I am hoping in Jesus. I love how the psalmist says this. It's a declaration of what you're choosing to do. You can't just expect other people to do this for you. This verse doesn't say, hey, go to your neighbor and ask them to put your hope in God. Go to your mom, go to your dad, and ask them if they can take your hope and trust in God for you. Go to your best friend, go sit down, have a little powwow, have a little chat, get some coffee, and then ask them if they can take responsibility for your life, if they can take responsibility for your hope. No, because you have to do this yourself. And so the psalmist says, I will choose, I will in my own life choose to put my hope in God. I don't care what anything else says. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I feel like. I will choose to put my hope in God. Stand up with me. I believe that God is wanting to restore our hope. I believe that, you know, John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And, and some of those things that the thief loves to steal is your hope. He loves to kill your hope. He loves to destroy the hope that you have. And I believe the Spirit of God is wanting to restore hope some of our hearts and lives today so that when you think about your future you're not too busy thinking about your past 
because I'm going to transform your valley of trouble, that mess you made. I'm going to take that thing. I'm going to transform it. I'm going to take what was and turn it into what is. I'm going to turn that into a gateway of hope, a doorway to your future. Thank you, God. So I want you to close your eyes. Father, we love you. We love your presence. We love your spirit. Jesus, we just ask that you continue to do a work that only you could do in this place. God, you're the one who can take our hurts, our pains, our wounds, our past, and transform them. You're the one that redeems, and you're the one that restores. And with, with all of our eyes closed and just staying in this attitude, if you're in this place and you're like, I don't have hope for my future. I've lost my hope in my future. My hope has been overwhelmed by the circumstances. My hope has been overwhelmed by the world. I want you to slip up your hand so I can see who I'm praying for in this next few minutes. It's okay, everybody's got their eyes closed. Nobody's looking around, just me. God wants to restore what the devil has stolen. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. I know there's more people in here that are hopeless. God is wanting his church and his people to be people filled with his hope, with his passion, with his future, with his purpose. So I'm going to pray right now. Father, I thank you for every person in this place that has their hands lifted up. First of all, Father, I just pray against any lie from the enemy. We say in the name of Jesus that no weapon from the enemy will prosper in Jesus' name. We call all those lies, we call all those things the enemy has tried to steal from us, we call them dead in Jesus' name. We say they have no right, we say they have no authority, and they have no place in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. Father, I speak right now in the name of Jesus, and I ask that by your spirit, that by your presence, Father, I thank you that you are beginning to restore hope in our lives. Those, those dreams that we've let go, those things that we've said, uh, it's too much, it's too hard. I'll never see it come to pass, or I've made such a mess of my life, I could never see anything good coming from it, and I'm just gonna be labeled this my entire life. Father, I thank you right now that by your Holy Spirit, you are restoring and redeeming, that you are transforming the valley of trouble in our life into a gateway of hope, yeah, and you are taking what was terrible and horrible and useless and transforming it into something that is life-giving. Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus, that by your Spirit, you are rebirthing hope in our lives. You are rebirthing hope, hope that was dead, hope that was buried, hope that was long gone and thought to never be revived. 
you are breathing life into those things again. And you are causing us to be people who are passionately pursuing you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all you're doing and working in us and through us. In your son's mighty name, we all said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.